Well, I don't take it lightly uh, on this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, that I'm standing in the middle of a middle school auditorium holding a Bible in my hand, a public school. Um, and I get to hold this Bible in my hand freely here because of the sacrifice of so many men and women who gave their lives to protect this country. And that's, a, that's just an amazing thing, and we acknowledge that this morning. And I, my prayer, no, despite everything that's going on right now in our world, my prayer is that we would be the United States of America and that we would be united in the fact that we know God holds the world in His hand. That He holds the world in His hand and He gave the ultimate sacrifice through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we would know eternal life in Him. But that's why we're here. We're here because of Jesus. We're here because of what He's done in our lives. So let's continue to worship the Lord together by studying His Word. Open your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Philemon is a short little book. It's one page long, snuck in near the end of Paul's later epistles. It's right before the book of Hebrews. So if you get to Hebrews, look across the page, you should see Philemon. As you're turning there, let me just kind of set us up this morning. Next week, uh, we're going to wrap up our year-long study in Acts. We've been in the book of Acts under this series, Unstoppable. And we're wrapping that up next week. And a couple times throughout this year, we have taken a few uh, pit stops to do this kind of instructions for the church. Because there are some very specific things given in Scripture that are written as prescriptive for the church to live out our faith in a godly way. We've looked at things like baptism and communion, which are more ordinances. Today, I want to look at a specific concept that is referred to all over the Bible. It's commanded of us by Jesus Christ and again by Paul here in this book of Philemon. Today I want to talk about forgiveness. Now when I say the word forgiveness, I imagine a lot of things come into your mind. You can come up with maybe some scenarios in your head where you've experienced forgiveness or you've had to give forgiveness or maybe you have a definition in your head of what forgiveness looks like. But for the concept of unity today, let's define forgiveness together. This is a, a a definition of forgiveness that we will be working from today. Forgiveness is the decision to release someone from the obligation that resulted when they offended you. That's a true definition of forgiveness, to release someone from the obligation that resulted when they offended you. Now, I know that uh, in this room there are two groups of people when we talk about forgiveness. There's two groups of people, so for that, I'm going to need to illustrate this. So I need uh, just a couple of volunteers. Phil, can you come up and be... Brandon, why don't you come up here and, and be a part of this too? So we're just going to illustrate the two groups of people that exist in the room today. So Phil, Phil and Brandon are, are good friends of mine, and uh, we've been through a lot of life together. And uh, I would say Phil and Brandon are friends as well, right? So they're buddies together. So so they're together. They're, they're looking at each other. They're having a conversation, right? So this is... This is uh, Brandon and Phil having a conversation. Now, Brandon, I need you to slap Phil across the face. Yep. Okay. All right. So that just happened. That just happened. Okay. So now <laughs> there has been an offense between these two friends. Okay. The offense has happened. In case you missed it, Brandon slapped Phil. All right. That's, that's how it happened. We were all witnesses. And uh, so they're in, in their own group together. They're in, they're in group number one. Okay. Group number one is... Two people that need to pursue forgiveness together, right? Brandon needs to ask Phil for his forgiveness. Phil needs to give forgiveness to Brandon. Everybody clear on that? 
I'm in this second group today that some of us may find ourselves in where I'm on good terms with Brandon. We can go hang out. No slap happened here. We're good friends, right? Phil, same thing, right? right? We're good friends together. But I know they're not on good terms with each other, right? So I'm on good terms with both of them, but I know they're not on good terms with each other. So I'm in that second group where I'm now in the middle of this offense between the two of them. I need to help them pursue forgiveness. They need to pursue forgiveness together. I need to help them pursue it. All right, thanks, guys. Those are our two groups. We'll work that out throughout the message. Don't worry. We'll get, we'll get to some reconciliation together. The universal truth in the room today is that everyone has been in that first group. Everyone has been in that first group where you've either been offended or have offended somebody else and have had to pursue forgiveness. But I would bet that there's a percentage, a high percentage in the room where offenses have maybe happened in your life that have never come to a resolution where you've been offended or you've offended somebody else and that has never been brought into the light, it's never been worked out, and there's still this offense that sits between you and another person. At the same time, I believe that there's a lot of people in that second group. So wherever you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write two names there, two names of people that you can think of, right, where I could get together with one of those people, go out to lunch with them, hang out with them, it'd be a great time could do the same thing with that second person, but if they showed up in the same restaurant at the same time, it would be awkward. It would be awkward. The air would get sucked out of the room. You'd be kind of worried, right? Are you writing names down? Do you even have a pen? Are you participating right now? <laughs> right? But write down those names. Think about that. Everybody can think about their names. Whether it was in your family, whether it's in your family right now, whether it's some friends, some coworkers, where you could be hanging out with one of the buddies, and if someone else walked in the room... That other person you're thinking about, that other person walked in the room, things just got awkward. There would be tension because there's something between them. They're not on good terms with each other. You're on good terms with both of them. They're not on good terms with each other. All right, you got those two names? So those are the two groups we fall into. And at the end of the message today, I'm going to call you to some action. I'm going to ask you to do some things about this. And if you choose to not respond to it, your response today should be to rip the book of Philemon out of your Bible. Please don't do that to the church Bibles. I just handed it out to you. But rip it out because it's not, we cannot go on with the name Harvest Bible Chapel proclaiming to be a church that believes the word of God and acts on it if we're not willing to look at a very specific instruction and actually do it. All right, we can just rip the book of Philemon out. We can take Bible out of our name. But I believe the best about my church. I believe the best about my church that God will work in your heart the same way he's been working in my heart all week and that we will see some amazing things happen as we pursue forgiveness together. Are you at Philemon? Everybody at Philemon? If you're there, say there. Let's read together, starting in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's get our bearings here a little bit. We know that this is a letter from Paul. We recognize Paul's name. We've seen it a lot in Acts, right? And we know that Paul loves to get beaten up and thrown in prison for the gospel. It's like his thing. It's what he does. This time it looks like he's dragged Timothy along with him. But who's uh, the sister of Phia? Who's this soldier Archippus? And who's this Philemon guy, right? Paul is in prison in Rome during this time, all right? We know that he never got out of prison. This is near the end of his life. He's waiting to be executed for the gospel. 
Philemon is a pretty legit dude, wealthy dude from Asia Minor, who Paul converted to Christ on his first missionary journey. Right? So Paul converted him to Christ, and then probably by association, the rest of his household got saved. And now he's started this church in his home. And he's on mission, he's making disciples, he's pouring into people, and there's this little core group that is meeting in his home, right? They're in the core group phase right now. I just going to kind of pause on that for a minute because that means a lot to us as a church plant that Paul would be writing to this little core group. You know, he's writing to some big churches throughout the epistles right here. He's taking a moment to write to this little core group that's meeting in Philemon's house. It's a cool thing for us as a church plant. And just last week, Steve and I were in Madison, Wisconsin uh, to encourage, build up the core group in for Harvest Bible Chapel, Madison. Man, I just got to say the Lord is building his church in Madison. Like, we walked into that room, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, God is working. There are people there that, like, the stories of how they got there and the health and the weight that they are bringing, the excitement they have to see a church built there, it's some cool stuff. Like, Dave and Bree, right, Dave Jacobson's a senior pastor, his wife Bree, they don't even live there yet. He's been driving this, like, two-hour commute to Elgin to do, like, core group meetings and vision meetings and stuff like that. They finally moved in yesterday to their new house, but... Not even living there, 25 people have committed to this core group, like healthy, healthy people excited to see this happen. And then we had this vision meeting on Monday night. By my count, eight people that had never, like, stepped foot into that core group came just to this random hotel conference room to hear about the mission of making disciples and what that could look like in Madison. It was amazing. It was such a, the conversations I got to have with people, like it was exciting because God is building his church. He's doing the same thing that he was doing in Asia Minor in Philemon's home today in Madison, Wisconsin. So be encouraged, church. God is, God is on the move there. But Paul's writing to this core group. We can guess that Archippus is the pastor due to Paul calling him a fellow soldier. But Philemon is the main recipient of the letter. It's his house. He was probably the one Paul converted first, and now he's building up this core group in his home. And the subject of the letter is a man named Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. It's kind of fun to say. Onesimus was a slave in Philemon's house. And culturally, at this time in the world, this was not like a, a, a unique thing. He was, uh, Philemon was a wealthy man, so he probably had multiple slaves at one point. Um, before he was saved. In, but what we do know about Onesimus is that Onesimus was a rebellious slave. All right? And we don't have all the details, but what we can gather is that at some point he lied, stole, and ran away from Philemon. Right? Ended up in Rome and through some probably poor life choices, ended up in prison. Lo and behold, who's his cellmate? Paul. How do you think that's going for Onesimus? Hey, my name's Onesimus. What are you in for? Jesus. Jesus is the only thing you need to know about Onesimus. Jesus. Game over. Onesimus is so saved at that point. So saved. And that's what happened. Paul leads him to Christ in prison. And he's like, okay, uh, I'm going to start discipling you, pouring into you while we're here. i got nothing else to do, so I'm going to start discipling you. Let's work on your testimony. We're going to get your testimony down in three to five minutes. Okay, you're going to be able to write out your God story and articulate it in five minutes. And so Onesimus pours out his story, and there comes to this part where, yeah, and I had this boss, Philemon, and whoa, 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 whoa. Philemon, like Asia Minor Philemon? Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. Dude, I know, I led Philemon to Christ. This is awesome. Like, we got mutual friends. And Onesimus is like, no, dude, not friends. Not good. 
So then Paul finds himself where? In that second group, right? He's on good terms with Philemon. That's a buddy of his. They're, they're working in ministry together. And then he meets Onesimus and realizes that he knows Philemon, but they're not on good terms with each other. So he chooses to get in the middle of it and write this letter to Philemon. So the scene is set, right, for an epic example of forgiveness from God's word. You got Philemon, Onesimus, they're in that first group. They need to pursue forgiveness together. And you got Paul sitting in that second group. He's the mediator. He's in between. He's got to help them pursue forgiveness. So as we look at that and we're here today and you kind of think about what group am I in today, right? What group am I in? Maybe those groups overlap for you today. But how do we go about forgiveness? I'm going to give you the five stages of forgiveness. Okay, this is how it plays out, the five stages of forgiveness. The first stage is to remember the good. Remember the good. Read with me in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Man, does Paul love this guy or what? They're, they're good friends, right? He's expressing a lot of love for Philemon. And let's just acknowledge that Paul is just as much a relational genius as he is a spiritual giant. He doesn't start off the letter by going, hey, you ran into Onesimus, let's talk about it, right? No, dude, lays on the butter, warms him up a little bit, right? Tells him all the good things that are happening in his life. He, hey, let's remember the good that God's doing in you. Here's all the things I'm hearing about you, and I have much joy and comfort from you. Can you imagine Philemon, right, open up that letter, you get a letter, like, okay, if Anybody here want a letter from Paul? Would you be all right with that? If you just open your mailbox, Paul, letter. I'm opening that letter right away. It's not going with the junk mail. All right, you open up that letter, and it's just like, you're awesome. I'm praying for you. Things are great. And you're like, dude, yes, this is the best letter ever. Paul loves this guy, but he helps him remember the good. This has to be the first stage of forgiveness. Remember the good. In the midst of an offense, though, this can be the hardest part. Because you want to just get to the problem, right? You want to tell that person how they offended you. You want to tell that person what the problem is. But unless you can start by letting them know how much you love them, what life was like before the offense, right? Something as simple as, man, can you believe all that we've been through together? Remember the time that the Lord did this in our lives. It's incredible to watch God work in you. And I know he's working in me. You start there, it lays the groundwork for the rest of forgiveness. But love for someone, remembering the good, doesn't mean that you don't challenge them. Paul continues on in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Paul's like, I love you, man. I love you, bro. But we got something we got to talk about. And truthfully, because of who I am and because of the spiritual authority that I have over you and because I just am plain not scared to do it, I could command you to do this. You can almost see it unfolding. Philemon reading the letter like, yeah, he loves me. He's praying for me. And 
he's going to ask me to do some things. Okay, well, I love Paul. I love Paul. We've been through a lot together. So whatever you ask, Paul, I'll do it. And then he kind of scrolls through, and you kind of see his face changing, like, what's he going to ask? It's getting a little more serious. And Verse 10, I appeal to you from my child, Onesimus. I hate that guy. I hate that guy. Paul, why is Paul even bring? Why is Paul with this guy? That guy ripped me off, set my business back for like six months, took off with a bunch of my stuff, and all of a sudden he's hanging out with Paul, and Paul's talking to me about him, appealing to me for him. I thought Paul was on my side. I thought Paul was my friend. Why the heck is he talking to this guy? And you're like, that's not anywhere in my Bible. It's not. It's not in there explicitly, but we can gather that if Paul is writing a letter at the end of his life, taking the time out of his life to write this letter, he doesn't write very well. He has to have scribes write for him. Like, it's a big deal for him to write a letter to somebody. To have one person about one subject, we can imagine that the situation between Philemon and Onesimus was not good. Like, if they were in the same room, blood would be shed. So Paul's like, I got to get in the middle. I got to do something about this. This It's my duty. It's my godly, rightful duty to do this. So we can imagine that these two guys ending up in a room, it's not going well. So Paul's in that second group. He's choosing to get in the middle and help them both pursue forgiveness. And how's he doing it? Not as an authority figure. Not as an authority figure. He's appealing with love. He's appealing with humility. That's the second point. We've got to do the same thing. In the second stage of forgiveness, appealing with humility is crucial. Pride and finger-pointing have no place in forgiveness. If you cannot approach a person with humility, appealing to them, that word appeal translated means to beg, to plead, to ask. It's not a, you better forgive me or else. It's appealing to them, saying, man, please. I'm humbling myself, and both parties have to do it. The hard part with this is that many people, many people are not convinced that forgiveness is appealing. Many people believe that holding on to their hurt is better than facing that person again. And we kind of treat, we treat our hurt like a pet, right? So we hold our hurt. It's my hurt. I love my hurt and I feed it. It's my hurt and I feed it and I I need it. I need my hurt. Hold it and love. It's my hurt. And your hurt is killing you, sucking the life out of you. But we hold on to it. There's a quote that says A grudge is like a hot coal that you're holding in your hand, waiting for an opportunity to throw it at the other person. But the whole time it's burning who? You. It's burning me. Forgiveness is so much more appealing than unforgiveness. So as I appeal to you today on forgiveness, I want to give you three reasons why forgiveness is appealing. Three reasons why forgiveness is appealing. Number one, emotional freedom. There's another quote that says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. If we realize how much mental energy and time we spent 
on unforgiveness. Reliving the offense, wishing you could go back and change it. Plotting your revenge, hoping something similar would happen to that person. Holding it, feeding it. Thinking that somehow it it has any impact on that other person when really it's just sucking the life out of us. But when we choose forgiveness, we are freed from that prison. Emotionally, we are free. Second reason forgiveness is appealing is physical benefits. Physical benefits. The Mayo Clinic, some of you may have heard of it. Nobody laughed at that joke. I thought everybody was going to laugh at that joke. They released an article in 2014 explaining the negative effects of bitterness and holding a grudge, but also gave these benefits of forgiveness, right? So this is the Mayo Clinic, like, writing an article about, this is why you should forgive people. Healthier relationships, greater spiritual and psychological well-being, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, stronger immune system, improved heart health, and higher self-esteem. So just practically, unforgiveness is killing you. Forgiveness will improve your quality of life. So it's just for any other reason, it will give you physical benefits. This third thing, and the most important, spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessing. Jot these references down. Matthew 6.14. Matthew 6.14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 1 Peter 3.9 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Last one, John 20.23 If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld, as in it's withheld from you. See, we cannot, we cannot for a second pretend that the Lord does not know what it's like to be sinned against and then choose forgiveness when it's not deserved. We can't, we can't even fathom that because Jesus is the ultimate example of forgiveness with his grace and mercy that he showed us on the cross. Rather, we should choose to model the gospel and forgive. God is honored through that. And he gives us a spiritual, supernatural peace and blessing that we would never have received otherwise. See, in reality, our choosing unforgiveness is saying that our being sinned against is greater than our sin against Jesus. That's a dangerous line of thinking to live in. Forgiveness is much more appealing, and we must choose it above the temptation to hold our grudge in the name of righteous indignation. With this understanding, we appeal with humility for others to choose forgiveness as well. Let's read the rest of Paul's appeal to Philemon. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He's referring to leading him to Christ. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul's using an awesome play on words here. Onesimus' name means useful. 
And I'm sure Philemon would scoff when he thought of Onesimus because he would hear the word useful in his brain with that name. And he's like, that's the last thing that guy is. That guy stole from me. That guy, that profitable has nothing to do with that guy's name. He's not useful at all. And Paul's choosing, using this as an opportunity to paint Onesimus in a new light. The best thing you can do, people in the second group, the best thing you can do as a mediator is paint the person who offended in a new light to the other person. To put them on a new page. Like, I know, I know he was useless to you. But God's worked in his life. God has done an amazing thing in his life, and he is not that guy anymore. He is useful to you and to me. He's a brand new man. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I love this guy. Such tenderness. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Again, painting Onesimus in a great light. He's a hard worker now. He's a great guy. I love to have him around. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Again, that's an appeal with humility. I'm appealing to you. And this was, I'm not commanding you to do it. I didn't want to do anything so that you felt like your hands were tied and you just had to do it. I wanted you to choose. I wanted you to see God work through this. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. The sovereignty of God. No longer as a bondservant, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. Those two verses, verses 15 and 16, are are crucial in this appeal stage because Paul is casting a vision for the future. This is where forgiveness can lose all of its momentum. If in the appeal you cannot get past the hurt, if you elevate the problem over the person, if you can't believe that God wants to work through both of you and bring you out better and stronger on the other side of this than you were going in, then forgiveness won't continue. But if you can do that, if you can see past the hurt and see what God might want to do on the other side, how he's working through it in you and through the other person, now we're snowballing. Now the stages start to roll. We've remembered the good. We've appealed with humility. Then we need to use our influence. Use our influence. See how Paul does this starting in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Have you ever done this when you're trying to maybe reconcile two people or, you know, just try to get people together? And So like Joe, right? Joe uh, had an interesting fight with Greg. These are two random names. I'm not talking about specific people. But Joe and Greg had a fight, right? And I'm buddies with both of them. And I call up Joe. I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing? Let's grab breakfast tomorrow. I was like, I was thinking about calling Greg. And he's like, no, nah, man. Greg and I are not good right now. I was kind of a jerk. And he won't even listen to me. We won't even, he won't even be in the same room as me right now. I'm like, oh, dude, don't worry about it. Hang up. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Hey, Greg, we're going to get breakfast tomorrow. Joe's coming. No, nah, dude, I'm not going. I don't like Joe. Okay, never mind. Joe's not asking. I'm asking. We're going to breakfast. We're going to work this out. Forget it's that, that Joe's there. I'm the one asking. You're going to breakfast with me. I invited Joe. It's my, put it on me, right? Use your influence in that way. 
Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Notice that we're almost done with the letter, and up until now, Paul has yet to talk about the details of the offense. He hasn't brought that up at all yet. He's, he didn't say, hey, I know Onesimus owes you this amount, but I'll pay it. Don't worry about it. Now let's talk about how to live this out spiritually. No, he made it about Philemon. Like, Philemon, God's working in you. Here's now another guy who God's working in. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's something between you guys. The stages are not remember the problem and appeal to the account, right? It's remember the good, appeal with humility. But in this also, notice that Paul is not negating the offense, the hurt that happened. He's acknowledging that Onesimus screwed up and that there's a debt that is owed. And then in true gospel fashion, he says, charge that to my account. I'll take it. Whatever you owe us, man, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. That was like kind of a cool moment in the letter because there would have been a scribe. Paul had really bad vision. He didn't write very well. So there would have been a scribe writing this for him, and Paul's like, give me that. Paul, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And then this, just twist the screws. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Such generosity. I'll pay whatever, whatever he owes you pay. But while we're talking about what people owe, you owe me your life, Philemon. I came through Asia Minor. I told you the gospel. You got saved because of how the Lord worked through me. I stayed there. I poured into you. I discipled you. I helped you plant that church. You want to talk about people owing each other things. If you're going to bring up this, kind of do that with some friends. You can kind of cash in those chips a little bit. Like, dude, you owe me if you want to talk about one things. You feel shorted? You want to be repaid? I got it. But you owe me as well. Let's look at the bigger picture here, Philemon. It's about Jesus. If you're in the first group, this, this is always kind of the hard stage, right? To use your influence with somebody that you've offended or there's an offense between you. Because usually that means that they want nothing to do with you, right? Like, they don't really think much of your influence anymore. But this is kind of the opportunity to, in the remember the good, kind of pull this out, right? This is, this is who we used to be. Do you remember this situation? Like, remember that time when this happened? And, man, just because of that situation, because of that circumstance in our life, can we, can we just get coffee? I'm just going to cash in those chips with you so I can appeal with humility. I'm using my influence here. In the second group, people in the second group, kind of that mediator role, this is not wrong, right? It's not wrong for you to use your influence to get people in a room together, to get them talking about the offense. If you are in good standing with two people who are not on good terms with each other and you choose not to get involved because you don't want to lose your status with either one of those people, that's purely a selfish motive. The more common practice we see is to choose sides, right? Choose sides. That, uh, so I'm standing up here with, with Phil and Brandon, and I see the slap happen. So I'm going to agree that, you know, the slap shouldn't have happened. So I'm going to go stand by Phil and throw rocks at Brandon. And we're like, we're to, you're wrong. No, that's not, that's not the purpose. God's heart is not for you to pick a side and live in the unforgiveness. Use your influence to provide an opportunity for reconciliation. I remember in high school, you know, you kind of have two groups of friends that are 
um, throughout your life. And I went to uh, a really small high school, so I had to be friends with everybody because there was only 13 of us in a class, right? So it was like, we were all friends. You just had to be friends with them. So you saw those guys every day. They were your school friends. But then, like, I grew up in, in church, too. So I had, like, my church friends and guys I hung out with on the weekends and things like that. So sometimes those groups would intersect. We're like, due to random circumstances in the space-time continuum, we, like, all, like, met together. And now, like, my buddy from high school is my buddy that I grew up with, and they're friends, and they hang out. And we're like a trio, and it's awesome. We're the Three Musketeers. We had a theme song. It was great. But then, like, something happened between those two guys where there was a rift between them and now I'm like, they don't want nothing to do with each other. So now I'm, like, picking which guy I'm hanging out with, and I go to school, and he's like, oh, did you see so-and-so this weekend? Is he still a jerk? And I'm like, yeah, he's a jerk. Still, you're, you're not a jerk. And I go see the other guy. i like, oh, did you see so-and-so? Is he still an idiot? And I'm like, yeah, still an idiot, but you're not an idiot, you know. And I was playing this dance of, like, who am I going to be friends with, and I'll just not ever talk about it. We'll just never bring it up again. What I should have done is use my influence with both of them, but they're like, we're getting in a room, you're both being jerks and idiots, and we're going to figure this out. But instead, I just, I was selfish. I, I was scared that I would lose, one of them would become estranged to me, and so I didn't want that. So I just was selfish and talked behind each other's backs. And that's, not, that's not God's heart in this. God's heart, again, don't just pick a side and live in unforgiveness with somebody. Use your influence and see God do amazing things through that. Notice at the end of this, Paul again shows us his mastery of relationships. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. After all of it, he implements a crucial stage of forgiveness. He believes the best of Philemon. He believes the best and doesn't even give him the opportunity to see another option. He could have put in there, now I know it would be tempting to throw away this letter and keep living your life. Or I know Onesimus doesn't deserve your forgiveness, but no, he doesn't even put those thoughts in his head. He trusts the Holy Spirit will move in the heart of Philemon. And because he believes that all the things he said in verses 4 through 7 are true of Philemon, he knows that Philemon won't just forgive him, but that he would cancel his debts, welcome him back with open arms, and set him free. Our job in both groups is to believe the best about the other person. In asking for forgiveness, you must believe the person, the best about the person you are asking. You have to believe that they will forgive you. Listen, even if they don't forgive you, have the confidence that they will. I'm not walking into an encounter with somebody where I'm trying to pursue forgiveness going, well, I'll just get this over with and then go back to hating me. I'll just do this because the Bible tells me to do it. Or if you're even offering forgiveness to somebody, like, okay, I'll, I'll say I forgive them, but they're never getting close to me ever again. I'm never going to let them hurt me ever again. They're not even going to, like, we're never going to be friends ever again. But I'll forgive them. That's not forgiveness. You have to believe the best. And I know that there's this thought in our heads that says, well, Brent, I can't forgive them because I can't forget. I can't forgive them because I can't forget. And I would say that 
you have to switch that thinking and realize that you will never forget until you forgive. You will never forget until you forgive. The f- forgiveness doesn't come after somehow you magically wipe away that offense from your memory. You choose to release that person from the obligation that resulted when they offended you. But listen, this is also not negating the offense or the hurt in any way. I understand that there is real pain and real hurt in the room today. That some things have happened to you, that people have done some seemingly unforgivable things. And we could preach a whole series on forgiveness as it relates to people who are unrepentant or non-believers. But in our context today, the way Paul is writing to Philemon and the way we need to look at an instruction for the church is when an offense happens between two people who claim that Jesus Christ is their Savior, this has to be the lens with which we look through it. That we have to believe the best in them because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our own sin, we believe the best in others. Because we know who we were before Christ This last stage of forgiveness, we see Paul just mention it, but it's so key. Follow up intentionally. Follow up intentionally. Verse 22, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. I love that. Verse 21, confident of your obedience. Verse 22, make up a room, I'm coming. I know you're going to do it, but... I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm coming to your house. We have to follow up intentionally. If you would think that at the end of like one meeting with a person, that everything would just be perfect and hunky-dory from then on, that you just, you had the conversation, you said, yeah, let's pursue forgiveness, and then you just walked away, and somehow there's a magic wand over that, you would be sorely disappointed. Rather, Paul, believing the best in Philemon, gives him the accountability He says, I'm sending Philemon back. That'll be your first method of accountability. Don't just write a letter saying, yeah, I forgive him. Keep him there. Like, no, Philemon's coming back. You guys are going to talk this out. But then I'm coming next. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Rather, it's a daily decision to release someone from the obligation that resulted when they offended you. It's a daily decision to do it. Each encounter with them, you are choosing whether or not you're going to hold on to that offense. See, it could be really easy to just kind of, you know, I think a lot, I didn't grow up with brothers, I grew up with sisters. um, So I kind of had like a lot of guy friends who were like brothers to me. And we would fight, right? That was kind of like, I mean like, like literally like fight. And that was like fun for us to like, hey, let's fight each other, Right? And sometimes it would get out of hand, right? Get out of hand a little bit, and someone hit a little too hard or choke a little too long, and and it would get nasty, right? And I remember, you know, sometimes my mom or my buddy's mom would come up, and be like, "Okay, okay, okay, stop that! You gotta stop, stop, stop! I'll shake hands, right? Walk away, you know." And it was like, "Okay, you're all good now." That's not the type of forgiveness we're talking about. Where it's like, okay, the Bible told me to do this. You know, my worship leader stood up and preached about it, so now I got to do it. And you get to coffee with somebody, you have this really awkward conversation. It's like, I forgive you. Yeah, I forgive you too. Okay, bye. You 
just leave. Like, that's not going to work. No, have the conversation. Believe the best about the people. Follow up intentionally. By the next time you see them, you're not just awkwardly smiling like, I hope they like me now. Hope, they, hope that worked. No, like, go up, shake their hand, give them a hug. Man, that was a hard conversation last week, but I'm so glad we did it. I believe the best for us. I believe our best days are ahead. Let's get coffee again soon. I love you. In the name of love, let's pursue forgiveness. And when we get to be the person in the middle of that, when we get to be the people who gave those people an opportunity, used our influence, believed the best, followed up intentionally, and we see true forgiveness happen between two people, we kind of just get to step back and be like, man, God used me. The gospel is incredible to watch it play out in people's lives. It's an instruction for the church that we cannot ignore. If we do, church, if we ignore this, it will plague our church. If there's unforgiveness in this room today that you know of, and you're just going to sit in it for weeks, months, years, it will plague our church. God will not bless our efforts if we can't forgive each other, how could we understand God's forgiveness? I want to end by going to Colossians chapter 3. Turn over there with me. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, that's, that's us. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the highest law. It's the great motivator. It's what should be covering every circumstance that we have in life, but especially when it comes to forgiveness with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you've got the names at the top of your bulletin. If you didn't write them down, I pray that the Lord would prompt them onto your heart this week or even as you walk out today. But with those names at the top of your bulletin, you can either make a decision to do something about it today or you can rip Philemon out of your Bible. Because so I refuse to believe that we all want to be a church that just checks the box and doesn't actually live out what the Lord is calling us to do. It's an instruction. It's commanded of us. So let's do it. Let's stand for prayer. There'll be people down here to pray with you after the service. And don't leave here with a burden on your heart. If you need to pray and then text somebody and set up a meeting today, do it. If you need to pray and then go grab somebody, tap them on the shoulder and say, can we have five minutes? Can we just chat? Do it. But because of his love for us, because of his forgiveness for us, we love and we forgive our brothers and our sisters. Let's pray. God, you are amazing. Your word is ever relevant. God, we can't deny that 
This is something that can be really hard to do and the world tells us just to just forget about that person and go the other direction. And, but God, we know that the prison unforgiveness can be, especially when it's between two people who claim that Jesus Christ is their Savior. God, you were not honored by that. You were not glorified by that. Let us not cling so tightly to our own wants, our own selfish desires, that we would miss the bigger picture of how we can be the gospel to the world, how we can be an uncommon community, not because we have small groups in our church, God. We can be an uncommon community because we forgive each other above everything else. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my heart. I pray that over our church. God, you paid our debt. You paid for our sins. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.